All right, good morning to everyone. Um, thank you, Alex, just for, you know, your brief comments about the all-church communication meeting. We did have a really, really wonderful time. I felt um, there was some really cool news that we shared, so we do encourage you to go to that link. Um, it's a private link. It's not open to the public, so make sure you contact the staff to get that link. And then, of course, for Mimi and I, it's, it's a bittersweet thing to talk about our transition, and uh, we appreciate many of your encouragements and comments. But uh, I just have such a confidence that the best days for this church are ahead, and there's going to be so much that the Lord is going to do to expand and cause five stones to flourish. Amen. But let's turn our attention to the message this morning. I'm going to be sharing on the gift of giving, and this series is entitled Formation. We've been looking at the seven body gifts that Paul lists for us in Romans 12. And I've put a number by each of them so you can see them enumerated. There's the gift of prophecy, the gift of serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, which I'll speak on this morning, uh, leading, and mercy. And I'm super excited to teach on giving this morning because when I look at this list, I've seen God's grace work in me in four of these gifts. Um, prophetic, encouraging, or exhorting, leading, and then giving. And so in this short little phrase, we're encouraged to be givers and to do so with generosity. Now, that's a big ask in this day when we are used to holding on instead of giving out. So where does the inspiration and grace come to enter into this gift? By looking to God. That's where the release and joy comes from when we see how he does it. So in the tradition of that very famous verse, that glory-laden verse, we love because he first loved us, from 1 John 4, 19. We're going to ask the question, do we have a God that gives? Do we have a generous God, one that gives with liberality? And when we answer this question, then we'll see how the gift is to flow out through you and me. Father, we just commit the word to you right now. We thank you for your powerful presence we thank you how close you are to us, that you build a tabernacle for us to abide under. And so we ask, God, that you continue to abide with us as we're under the covering of your word. We bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Is God a giver? The most profound response I can give is, oh my goodness, where do we begin? Is the Pope Catholic? Do Italians love their pasta? Do Chinese love their rice? You know, John 3.16 said, God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. Right there in that center of the verse, that center of redemption plan is the word give. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God holds nothing back. He doesn't reserve a part of his kingdom or his blessings for himself and say, we're just going to keep it in the Trinity. It's just going to be for us three. No, we're all in first class. There is no economy. There's no even premium. It's only first class, and every single one of us gets to enjoy that blessing. Shortly after this verse, in verse 8, Paul says that God has lavished on us the riches of his grace. I think of a related word like opulence and just grandeur and that the Lord 
has this heart in which he wants to lavish upon us to the point of embarrassment. Have you ever been lavished upon? And it just feels like it makes you so self-conscious that all this blessing is coming to you. A few years back, I was getting on a plane from Asia coming back to Canada, and uh, because of the many miles that I travel, they upgraded me to first class. So I said, thank you, Lord. I get to enjoy a nice seat, rest a little bit. And when I sat down, the flight attendant came to me and said, um, Rich, I want you to know that you are now in a private jet, and I'm your personal attendant. And for the rest of this flight, I'm going to take care of you as if this is your private jet. And I was like, is this a new program? Is this what they say to everyone? I can't believe that you're saying this to me. And I swear that that flight attendant had a word of knowledge. She had like a prophetic radar. Because the moment I felt thirsty, boom, a drink was there. The moment I was hungry, a meal was there. The moment I felt like a little chocolate, a chocolate was there. I could not believe it. I literally felt like I was in a private jet and this lady was serving me. It was just lavished upon me and it was embarrassing. But this is what God wants to do for you and me. His heart is so big. It's bursting. He wants to give to you and to me. Part of the unbelief that God wants to break through when we come on Sunday morning, when we think about the red carpet, oh, does God really want to give to me? Does he really care for me? Does he really want to touch this little area? Absolutely. He wants to lavish himself upon you. In Luke chapter 6, the gospel says that give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. I love this phrasing, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Last year in the fall, Mimi contracted COVID and she had to quarantine in Minneapolis for two weeks. So I was by myself here in Canada. I was a bachelor and um, I had to fend for myself. So I went to TNT to buy groceries. And uh, I had not actually been to TNT for years. And I was like, wow, look at all this food and all this. How come I didn't come here before? And I was going down this particular aisle, and uh, they had this beautiful pan of fried rice, and you could buy a pint of it. And I go, yeah, that's what I want. So I pointed to the, to the lady behind the counter. I said, oh, I want you know, a container of fried rice. So she picked it up, and she scooped it up, and she put it into the little pint container, and then she smushed it down. I go, and then she went like this, and then she went to another scoop and put it, and then smushed it down, and it was so full she, could ha- she had a hard time putting the cap on and the lid on. And I go, this is awesome. There's so much value. There's probably another 20% of fried rice that's in this container. And that's how God gives to us. He's going to press it down. He's going to shake it together, and it's going to be dense with blessing. Romans 8, chapter 30, uh, 8 verse 32 we're told that God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's his heart. That's his desire. God freely gives. Nothing is coerced. We get the son, we also get the kingdom. That's a pretty mind-blowing thought. Well, on the tales of this, we see then why 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this to us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. 
If you love him today, this verse is for you. So just walk through this slowly. Eye has not seen. What's the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen? The Swiss Alps? The mountains in Whistler? The Pacific Ocean? The beach in the Caribbean? An amazing sunset. What's the most beautiful thing that your eye has ever seen? That's going to be nothing compared to what God is going to show you. What's the greatest thing you've ever heard? Is it a concert of your favorite singer? Is it Beethoven? Is it Bach? Is it a, a jazz solo? That doesn't compare to what God is going to cause you to hear. Nor has entered into the heart of man. It's beyond anything that we've imagined. And I'm telling you, the imagination of man is pretty amazing. We've got rockets that are on the moon. We've got vaccines that wipe out diseases. We've looked at the galaxies. We've looked at atoms. That's imagination that took us to those places of discovery. And yet God is saying, no matter what you have imagined, I'm even beyond that. It's going to be mind-blowing. God is going to give us all things with his son. God has a God-sized surprise for us when we all get to heaven, and he can't wait to show it to us. Matthew 7, the Bible tells us that Jesus' generosity spilled over into even paying Peter's taxes. What an amazing boss. How many of your bosses have volunteered to pay for your taxes? I mean, if you work for Google or you work for Apple or you work for Microsoft, I mean, the benefits are absolutely amazing. Free health care, car washes, you know, ski trips, all this stuff. I've never heard of a perk which your taxes will be paid. But Peter had the best boss on earth. And Jesus paid his taxes. CRA came to Peter and said, hey, do you guys actually pay up? Peter said, yeah, we do. And so then Peter runs to Jesus and says, do we pay the taxes? And, and Jesus goes, yeah, we do. We're law-abiding citizens. Cast the hook. Take the first fish that you catch. And when you open its mouth, you will find four drachma coins. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Amazing. I love my staff, but I haven't quite blessed them yet by paying their taxes. <laughs> Friends, God is a giver. These are just a few verses. There's actually boatloads of verses that show us how God is a God of giving. He loves to give. He is so joyful when he gives out. That's why Jesus said to us, it's more blessed to give than receive. It's more blessed to give than receive. And he said in Matthew 10, freely you have received, freely give. You know why Jesus could give out? Because the Father was pouring into him over and over. He didn't feel like, oh, I need to accumulate. I need to hold on to this. I need to escrow this. No. As it was coming to him, he gave it out. And as God pours out on you, you give it out. Just let it go. Freely you have received, freely give. Giving is life. Giving is, as the millennials like to say, a sick gift. It's just sick. For those of you that don't know what that means, it doesn't mean illness. It just means it's insanely great. It's beyond cool. So this is where we connect God to Romans 12 and the gift of giving. As God is a giver with liberality, so we are called to do the same. Think about the boy with the five loaves and two fishes. 
Did he have a heart to give? Did he give freely and generously? I like to call him Asher, so we'll just call him Asher. So you've got this thousands of people on the countryside, seated on the mountains, and they're hungry, and the apostles are panicking how they're going to be fed because Jesus said, we're going to feed them in the apostles. Like, how are we going to do that? So they locate little Asher, and he's got this little lunch bag of five loaves and two fishes. Now, in my mind, I, I think of Western loaves of bread. What Jewish mom would send their kid five loaves of bread? I mean, we're talking, okay, maybe an afternoon seminar. Why do you leave five loaves? Or is it one of those little dinner rolls? I'm not sure. But anyways, this kid was stocked. His mom surely, surely loved him. And so did the apostles come and just snatch his lunch? No, I think they went to Asher and said, hey, little guy, we're so glad you're with us. You know all these people here? Jesus wants to feed them, and he wants to use your lunch to do that. And little Asher goes, really? All right, let's do it. And so, bang, he gives up what he has, and the Lord multiplied it to feed 5,000. Do you see the power of the seed of giving? Just one little bit surrendered to the Lord and given joyfully, God will multiply that beyond what we can think or imagine. Think about Joanna and Susanna in Luke chapter 8. Has anyone heard of them before? They're one of the unsung heroes in the gospel. So Joanna's husband worked for Herod as his personal attendant. And Susanna was Joanna's friend. So they were a pair together. And despite being professionally associated with Herod, an enemy of Jesus, these two gals got radically saved and the gift of giving bubbled up. And you know what they're famous for? Verse 3 says, they supported Jesus and the 12 apostles out of their private means. 13 men and their families. They provided for them out of their private means. Can you imagine the joy that they had of giving of their finances to Jesus and the 12? It was transformational. It was changing the nation. Ultimately, it was changing the destiny and the course of human history. And it brings out some key principles when we talk about the gift of giving. Giving is tied to, number one, the worship of God. Number two, meeting a need. And number three, having a vision for impact. That's why we talk about tithing to the church. There's no greater organization on earth. The church is greater than Google and Tesla and Apple. Did I just say that? I did. It's greater than any of those organizations. That may be shocking to you, but that's how God sees it. A hundred years from now, Apple might not be here. A hundred years from now, Tesla might not be here. A hundred years from now, Canada, United States might not be here. Empires come and go, but what will remain? The church. God is all in on the church. There's no greater organization. She is God's organizational servant. That's where our next chapter of ministry is about church planting. And when we tie to the church, we're meeting the needs of the church and fueling God's divine enterprise. Jesus gave us these beautiful little metaphors about the impact and the power of the church. It's like a mustard seed. <laughs> Most of the times we feel like this little tiny mustard seed, so insignificant, but Jesus said, in the DNA of that mustard seed, that seed will grow up to be the largest tree, that which influences culture and nations and societies. It's that transformational. 
And Jesus said the church is like leaven, hidden. Yeah, we definitely feel hidden. We definitely feel silent. We definitely feel like overlooked. But watch out, that leaven, when it works, it transforms the entire dough. The church is God's impact story. And this is why Joanna and Susanna gave freely from their private means. It was high impact, it was meeting needs, and it was deep worship unto God. Just like the woman who broke the alabaster vial of perfume over Jesus' head. You know, sometimes women will have those special row of perfume bottles, and there's one that's prized and treasured, and they only take it out, and they only use it on special occasions. And we can infer from this passage in Matthew 26 that she took out her most expensive perfume for the most important occasion, that which cost her nearly a year's worth of salary, and she broke that vial of perfume over Jesus' head. Everyone was incredulous. Are you kidding me? Why are you wasting that money? We should have used the revenues from this to feed the poor. But the woman is saying, this is my worship. Extravagance is part of giving. From day one when I was saying, I have loved tithing to God. And I need to tell you that so you don't know that we preach tithing but don't practice it. Every time I write a check to the church, I have a smile on my face and a glow in my heart. It's that feeling of this is for you, Jesus. Now notice something really important in this little passage about Joanna and Susanna. And this theme is carried out throughout the whole gospel. God is not a beggar. Jesus didn't beg Joanna and Susanna for money. God will never beg for money. You know how you see ministers on TV begging for money? Fund my plane. Fund my jet. Fund my lifestyle. I'm anointed by God. I'm a servant of the high, Most High. I'm working hard for Jesus. Traveling is hard. I need to be refreshed when I land. I need to be filled with the anointing. Beloved, don't fall for such stupidity and idiocy. Please show your discernment. Please show your acquaintance with the gospel that you understand how to judge such kinds of pitches. It's God never begs. Can we say amen to this? God never begs. God doesn't need your money in that sense. He already owns a cattle on a thousand years. He's already a gazillionaire. He could print his own money if he wanted. God, giving is not about funding God's lifestyle. Rather, it's about laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not consume. Matthew 6, 19-20. And you know what this verse means? It means when you spend money on earthly things, which we do need, but when you spend your money on earthly things, they will rust and decay and be gone. You will never see them in heaven. But when you lay up your treasures in heaven like Joanna and Susanna, your treasure will be with you forever. The people that Jesus and the disciples healed and led to salvation, they're going to be standing next to Joanna and Susanna in heaven. You know the missionary that you give to and the 15 people that they want to Jesus? They're going to be standing next to you in heaven forever. You know, when you give to your local church, all the treasure of that church, the people saved, the disciples made, the sick that are healed, the city that is reached, they all go with you to heaven. Given, giving is about that heavenly treasure. Think about the church at Philippi. Do you know why we have the book of Philippians in the, in the Bible? 
Because Paul was so touched when the members of that church gave to his ministry, he wrote them a thank you letter. The book of Philippians is considered by theologians to be Paul's most joyful and joyous letter. And it's actually a thank you letter for supporting my ministry. That's the power and impact that we have when we meet people's needs. When we're inspired by God to give and we help extend the kingdom through our brothers and sisters. And this joyful thank you note made it into the Bible. The Philippian church didn't just have a few individuals with a giving heart. Their whole church was a giving church. Think of all the churches that were planted and how the gospel went forth from Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, as it says in Acts 1.8, because they supported the Apostle Paul. I want that kind of spiritual reward in my bank account. The joy of giving is endless. When I was pastoring in Minneapolis, we had a family in our church that translated the New Testament into the Kamuk language with Wycliffe Ministries. The Kamuk people never had the New Testament in their language. And now they have the whole Bible in their hands. I'm going to stand to some Turkic brothers and sisters from Dagestan when I get to heaven. God puts that in my account, in your account. Think about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. Does anyone know what his original name was? Actually, it was Joseph. He got renamed by the apostles. And they gave him the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because they were so touched by his generosity. And what was so encouraging and inspiring about Barnabas's donation? Well, he sold some land that he had, and that was prime real estate for growing crops. That plot of land generated a lot of income and made Barnabas a lot of money. It was not a plot that was covered in weeds and rocks. It was fertile, rich, agricultural land. Barnabas didn't hold back. Barnabas gave his best. He was an able giver, not a cane giver. Remember in Genesis 4, brothers Cain and Abel? It was the first murder story that occurred in the Bible. Cain kills his brother Abel because God preferred Abel's offering over Cain's. Cain gave God his second best, but Abel gave God the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. It says that Abel gave God the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. This is why the prophet Malachi thundered against the priests and the people of his day. When they brought their offerings and sacrifices, they offered up diseased chickens. You don't know whether to laugh or cry. How could you bring a diseased offering to God? You can read about it in Malachi chapter 1, verses 7, 13, and 14. The leaders and the people were offering sacrifices that were blind, that were lame, that were sick, and that were blemished. How in the world can you do that? How would you have the audacity to bring a blemished sacrifice to God? Beloved, do not give your second best to the Lord. Do not give him the seconds and the thirds and the leftovers of your gain or supply. 
give him the first and the choicest and the best part, like it says of Abel, the fat portions. Don't be a Cain giver. Last week, a member just told me, I'm using the new text feature. I realized some capital gains and boom, I texted and tithed on it straight away to the church. I was so touched. That's radical. Actually, no, that's able giving. Don't donate to the church, the turkey that has freezer burn on it after it's been sitting in the freezer for 10 years. I once got re-gifted a present, a box of Chinese pastries, and you know how I knew that it was re-gifted? When I opened it, there was mold on the pastries that you could see through the cellophane wrapper. That's disgusting. That's second best offering. That's diseased chickens. We don't want to be there. Now to round out this point, I'm going to say something strong. Maybe you thought, oh, you've already been strong. You're going to say something stronger? (laughs) I'm going to say something strong here. You cannot reach full spiritual maturity unless your finances are surrendered to God. This is the point of Jesus telling the rich young ruler to sell all and give to the poor. This man was wealthy, but he wanted spiritual reality. So he comes to Jesus. He says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus takes him through the Ten Commandments. Do you murder? No. Do you commit adultery? No. Do you steal? No. Do you lie? No. Do you honor your mom and dad? Yes. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Yes. And the guys must thinking, "Woo." I'm checking all the boxes. This is going really good. And then Jesus says to him, and the Bible specifically says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, or in other translations it says, if you want to be complete, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Woo. You know why Jesus was willing to say those very strong words to the young man? Because he loved him and he wanted to be a full orb disciple. You cannot reach full joy and maturity if you cannot release all your riches to God. There will always be a speck in your eye. I can't tie it to God because then I can't go on my vacation. I can't buy my car. I can't buy my purse or my shoes. Or maybe this is your reason. This is my hard-earned money. Yeah, it is your hard-earned money. But do you remember Deuteronomy 8, 18? That God is the one that gives you power to make wealth. Do you know how amazing God is? You know how how many talents are out there that God has given to people and they have spilled on the ground billions of dollars and just spent it on themselves? I don't know where Elon Musk is and his faith is. I don't know where all those amazing artists out there, Bruno Mars and and all these singers and Taylor Swift, and they're making tens of millions of dollars. That power to make that money came from God. And God in his foreknowledge knows they may never serve me and they'll spend it on themselves and all that money is just poured out for nothing. God's willing to do that. He He will not give you something and then take it back, even though he knows it's going to be wasted. But we as covenant people, we know where our ability to make wealth comes from, right? And so we shouldn't say, oh, this is my hard-earned money. I'm not giving it to God. That's bad theology. That's bad discipleship. 
And when you have this speck in your eye, you calculate your relationship in terms of money because it's not fully surrendered to him. It's your filter. There's that speck. But God wants your heart to be fully surrendered to him. So think about this, the early church. The early church was full of strong disciples. There was no lid on them. The sky was the limit. There was no speck in their eye. Why? They had a massive heart of giving and generosity, even to the point of selling their property and possessions. And this spoke of how Jesus was truly Lord of everything in their lives. Now, in aggregate, you look at some of these examples, and they show us something. That it's not about a fixed amount that we give to God, but giving out of what we have and giving from the heart. In practical terms, it's about kingdom proportionality. The boy with five loaves and two fish, he wasn't a millionaire, but he gave fully from what he had. So did the woman who broke her treasured vial of perfume over Jesus' head. Maybe that was her retirement account. Maybe that was all that she had, and she gave it all to the Lord. In Luke 21, we know that Jesus commended the widow who came up. And widows are part of those, that category, the most vulnerable in the earth. If you want to stir God's justice and anger, start tampering with orphans. Start tampering with widows. Start tampering with the poor. You better watch out because God's going to come and be on their side. And so Jesus sees this widow coming up and drops, as it says in the King James, two mites. It's not termites. It's not bugs. That was the currency back then, equivalent to two small copper coins. And Jesus said that she gave out of her poverty and all that she had to live on. Doesn't that speak to some of the quiet reasoning that goes on in our head? Oh, I can't afford it. But there's something about her that had faith in her God. These were all that had very little means, but they still gave. But for those that had more means, they also gave more because proportionally they could give more. This is why Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, those who are rich, instruct them to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. It makes no sense if a college student and a wealthy person each gives $50 a week. That's disproportionate giving in the wrong sense of the word. Likewise, if God has blessed you since you graduated from high school or college and now you're making $50,000 or $75,000 or $100,000 a year and you are still giving $50 as if you're a college student, that makes no sense. That's being stingy and small-hearted. That's the opposite of having the gift of giving. Joanna and Susanna, they were women of means, so they gave a lot. And so did Barnabas, and so did Abel. All these ones understood that generosity was in proportion to their assets, whether they were a boy with a small bag of groceries or a highly successful landowner. Now, this is how the gift of giving has worked in my life, and then later with Mimi when we got married. When I first got saved at 16, the following Christmas, I wrote a note to my family 
And I said, I hope you don't mind, but for this Christmas, I've taken all the money that I would have spent on gifts and I've given it to the poor. I don't know where that impulse came from, but now looking back, that grace, that giving was starting to work its way in and through my life. It wasn't a big amount as a teenager, but it was something. When I was doing research as a graduate student, I had lab tech that was working with me who had just immigrated from Laos. He brought his whole family over, and it's just like what you see in the TV reports on documentaries. Just humble, broken, putting their dreams into this country that they've come to. They have nothing. They sacrificed everything. And my heart just went out to them. And I would anonymously slip $50 bills into his backpack to help his family. It wasn't much, but it was my heart as a grad student living on a simple budget. After I got my first professional job out of grad school, I was so excited to be independent and to buy my first home. I was still single, and I was able to give 30% of my income to the church and to other charitable needs. For example, there was a single mom raising a daughter at my work that was really hurting to make ends meet, so I gave her a check for half of my month's salary. She was taken aback. She said, Rich, I can't accept this. I said, okay, you don't have to accept it from me, but accept it as a gift from God. 24 hours later, she wrote me a note. She said, it's one of the nicest things that anyone had ever done for her. Later, when Mimi and I were married, we were able to give a struggling family in our church our first car, the very first car that I took Mimi out on a date, gave it away. Unfortunately, the dad crashed the car a few weeks later. Ah. As time would progress, Mimi and I, we would buy laptops for missionaries, instruments for musicians, send people on vacations, give away property, and more. I'm telling you, it's not just a joy, it's a kick. It's crazy amazing. Then a few years ago, something unexpectedly happened to my monthly income. For 20 plus years of ministry, I was paid a salary from the church, but then I found I had a marketplace skill in the area of strategic planning and organizational leadership that allowed me to be self-supporting as a consultant. So for the last seven years, I've saved the church my salary as I've not taken any pay. Some of my pastoral co colleagues were mad at me for doing this. Rich, the church should honor you. They should pay you. A workman is worthy of his hire. But my response was, God has given me the joy of giving. When we talk about the gift of giving, the generosity and liberality, we're talking about giving in the tradition in which God has given to us. We can never outgive God. We can never outgive God. Take a moment this week and think just about your salvation. That settles everything. You're good for eternity. Giving is in that same spirit in which God gives to us, not begrudgingly or under compulsion, but freely, happily, even with giddiness. God did not give us his son begrudgingly or under compulsion. They didn't have a debate in the Trinity. Will you go? Well, I don't know if I really should go. Well, no, we really need to do this. You know, it's a big problem down there. Please go. No. 
Jesus came without a sense of begrudging. He did not go to the cross resentfully, but for the joy set before him, gave his very life. Giving is imaging God's giving to us, imitating his giving to us. So let me close with these thoughts. You know, when each of us walk in our giftings, as given to us in Romans 12, and and I hope you're taking time to reflect on, okay, where do I locate myself in these seven giftings? I, I see myself in four of them. I see the grace of God working through four of them, and I'm grateful and excited about them. Make sure you take time to think, okay, this is, this is where my lane is. This is where my wheelhouse is. And when each of us are walking in these giftings, together, taken together, we reflect God's image. These seven body graces are not just gifts that God arbitrarily dispenses to his followers to be effective workers. Like he's cracking the whip. Go and, and do that. No. It naturally flows from him. And when taken together, these seven gifts, when they're in operation, we show each other what God looks like. It is that famous phrase, Imago Dei, the image of God. So when someone shows mercy to me, gift number seven, is showing me part of God's image. When someone prophesies to me, gift number one, that's part of who God is. When someone teaches or serves me, gifts three and two, I'm being lifted up by God. And when someone gives to me, I'm being provided for by God. We are part of God's mosaic to each other and the world. You drop out one of those pieces and the picture is incomplete. There are seven superpowers that God has given us. This morning, I got the privilege to share on the superpower of giving. And as I close, I want to pray for an impartation that five stones would be known as a financial pump for the kingdom, like the Philippian church. When we moved to Vancouver in 2003 to start this church, a few months before we came, I was given a prophecy that God was going to shift me from ministering to people in loafers to people with wingtip shoes. This has proven to be so true. God has given this church wealth so that we can bless our city, and the nations. And whether you're a young entrepreneur or a seasoned veteran, whether you only have two mites or a big purse of money, let's add giving to our tool belt. And for those that have this specific grace of making money and giving it away, be used of God to encourage your brothers and sisters to do the same. Let's go and use our superpower of giving. It builds, encourages the church the brothers and sisters, because it's such a practical and personal and impactful gift. And we lay up eternal treasures for ourselves in heaven as we do that. Lord, we come before you right now for the things that you have quickened to our hearts around this message. We take a moment right now to just talk to you, to consecrate ourselves afresh, adjust something to commit something to rejoice you're the one that gives us power to make money you're the one that blesses us you are Jehovah Jireh the God who provides 
And Lord, we want to enter into who you are and experience the joy of giving, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I pray, God, for an impartation. Would you put an impartation on this church, on Five Stones Church, that we would become a financial pump to the nations? Lord, that this little church would just have outsized giving because of the grace that you would put inside of us, that we would be like the Philippian church, that we would have on our hearts, Father God, and see with your eye the needs that are out there, but also how they would advance your kingdom. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength, God, as we exercise this gift. We give you thanks now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, we don't want to focus on the treasures that fade. And Lord, you're just so generous to us. You gave us creation. You gave us life. Then you redeemed us when we threw it away. And um, Lord, you just never cease to give to us. And, you know, the topic of finances is just, it's so personal for each of us. And money has this power that it just, it seems so beyond belief. And, you know, I really feel that this is one of these big strongholds that the enemy has taken. And, you know, I think the rock that um, Rich was mentioning earlier, that's the weight and that's the stronghold that we put in our wealth, in our finances. Um, you know, at the same time, Rich was, was seeing that rock. I could just see it was like a giant wall that was just quivering. And the Lord wanted to break it down. And it was a wall that we have built. So we built it between him and us because sometimes I think we don't trust his generosity. Like we almost think it's going to be too much. And like we, we almost would rather meter out the tiny bit that we have than, than give that up and, and trust him to come into us. But I really felt the Lord was saying, you know, it's a challenge to us. If you trust him to have conquered death, then you have to trust him to conquer your debt. And, you know, we believe he took our sins away. He's taken our future sins away. We haven't even done them yet. And he's already died to redeem those. But yet we don't think he can help us with that bill. And, you know, I could... I'm kind of so thankful that I had to be up here to close this one because finances and giving have just been been such a story of 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 blessing in my life and and it wasn't always that way but you know Rick Warren once laid this thing out and it was in one of his little morning prayers but he said I challenge you to try and outgive God because he says I've been trying for 30 years and I can't He's like, I reverse tithe now. He ties 90 and keeps 10. And he says, and I still can't outgive him. So I don't know the story that each of you have. You need to walk with God and, and let God speak where you're supposed to give. It comes in proportion with what you have and, and how he wants to work in your life. But I can guarantee you this. You won't be able to outgive him if you're walking with what he has called you to do. And that goes for any of these gifts. You will never be able to out-teach him. You will never be able to give more mercy than he can give you. Any of these gifts, he will, he will outdo what you do. He will, you know, it says our cups will overflow, and and it will just pour out. So, this morning, Lord, we just thank you for your generosity, Lord. 
it's it's there in the first pages of the Bible and it's there at the end, Lord, and it just never ceases at any time in between. And so, Lord, we just thank you. And Lord, where we haven't trusted you, Lord, we just ask you to give us faith, to give us that push, to give us just that that desire to serve you, Lord. Lord, you we, we trust you with our souls, our very souls. And yet, Lord, it just seems like money has this hold in our wallet. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would just release that from us, Lord. And Lord, it's not about the amount. It's about what you have called us to do. And so, Lord, we just ask to walk where you have told us to walk, to go left when you say go left, Lord, to run when you say run. And Lord, we know that you go before us. We know you go behind us. And we know that you're on either side of us. And so, Lord, we just go in the security of knowing that you are just almighty God. And we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the worship, Lord. We just thank you that, again, your presence just comes and bees with us, Lord. And so we are just so ever grateful for everything that you are. Bless us this week. Amen.